Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I am joined today by Darius Kevavehi, and he is a former foster youth, and he has been willing and open to share his story with us. So thank you so much for being on the show today. No, thank you for having me. I'm excited to, uh, for this opportunity to be able to share my story with others uh, in hopes that it can inspire people to you know, really chase after their dreams too. Yeah. So can you just introduce yourself a little bit, give the listeners a little bit of background um, story of just how you came to be in foster care and kind of what that journey looked like for you? Yeah, I can give a little bit of an overview of my life. So, yep. My name is Darius Kavavehi. Uh, I was born and raised on Oahu, uh, a small island in Hawaii in the Pacific Ocean. And I entered the foster care system at four years old, visibly suffering from physical abuse, uh, mental abuse, emotional abuse, uh, sexual abuse uh, by my birth parents. And so I entered the foster care system at, at four years old. And just the actual first day when I was entering foster care, there was a specific event that happened that was pretty traumatic. And I just remember being dropped off at daycare. And a few hours later, you know, this white car shows up. And, uh, you know, in Hawaii, the CPS cars are normally marked by a yellow logo that has the state symbol on it. And, I, you know, I was very confused with like, you know, what is this car and and who's this lady kind of walking out and to talk to my daycare person. And so eventually I got ushered into that car and there I was off to some sort of facility being questioned and examined by a lot of people. And there's a whole lot of confusion that was going on. And then I end up at this strange house with all these people I don't know. And I'm told that I'm going to live there. So that was kind of the day one of foster care for me, you know, many years ago. And from that time period, I moved on to live in about four or five different foster homes. I went to five different elementary schools all before the age of of 12, uh, when I eventually got adopted, Um, kind kind of complicated story there. And specifically around fifth grade, um, I was probably about 10 or 11 years old, um, going through a whole lot of stress and the fact that, you know, the, the reasons that led to me in foster care was my my own parents in, in my eyes, right, as a child, you know, rejected who I was and for some reason inflicted all of these abuses on me where I felt at the time that I was to blame because there has to be some reason they're doing this. And to me, I was like, maybe there's something wrong with me, you know, maybe uh, I, I wasn't a good enough uh, you know child for them. So a lot of time, I, you know, I kept harming this blame on me. Uh, the first foster home I lived in, I was there for about four years, and the day I was being kind of kicked out of that foster home, uh, however how you want to call it, I was told that you know, hey, we can't take on any more foster children, you know, because we, ha- we have so many. At one point, I lived in the house, and there was like twelve of us, and so she said that she had to kind of downsize, and they were allowed to take on new foster children. Um, I used to get into fights with her all the time, just because. I'm still learning how to deal with my emotions. And she was kind of very demanding that foster foster home. And the, I was coming home from school. This is like third grade. And she told me to 
pack up my stuff and leave. And there's a car that showed up and there's two other new foster children going there. And so, you know, I'm dealing with the fact that that happens. Uh, the second home I lived in was actually pretty great. I got along with the, the parents there and I got along with my siblings. Um, but in the background, there was this other person that used to be my therapist that wanted me, they wanted to adopt me uh, or so, so be it. And in doing so, they, you know, kind of took me from that home after I lived there for about a year. And they really struggled to form me into a, a child that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they told me who I'm allowed to hang out with. They told me what sports I'm allowed to play. Because growing up, I used to play basketball as a way to kind of cope with being in, uh, in foster care and kind of dealing with the pain that I had. Uh, but they were like, hey, you're not allowed to play basketball anymore. You're going to have to play tennis and you're going to have to learn like to play a musical instrument. We want you to go to like the best schools. And I guess the intentions were sort of there, but the way they went about it was in a way that it suffocated like who I was, my identity as a person. And I was kind of struggling with that, you know, being nine years old, 10 years old. Right. And it got to the point where they just couldn't deal with uh, the fact that one, they never had children of their own. So they're trying to learn how to be parents. To the person that was adopting me, she was was my therapist, but being prescriptive in the way of trying to raise me in the mentality of a therapist is a little different. And three, the fact that I was a special needs child with very traumatic experiences that happened to me, I guess, you know, it was difficult for them to learn how to, to cope with that and kind of help me through those uh, pain points. And so, uh, you know, after living with them for about six months or so, they were like, Hey, we need a break from you. Go live at this other place for a week. And then we'll kind of get back to you a week later. My things show up on the, on a doorstep. And that was that I never saw them again. And, uh, you know, that, that, that was people that was supposed to adopt me and, and didn't. So I ended up at this other random house, uh, which led me to fifth grade and, uh, fifth grade was a pretty difficult time for me. I, you know, am, dealing with the fact of all these rejections from these homes, blaming myself for everything that was happening. And I got to the point where I just didn't want to live anymore. And I, I had several attempts at taking my own life. And, you know, I just felt the world was crashing around me and that there was no way out. And that the only way out was to kind of leave the world. And that was like one of the lowest points of my life was, was getting to that, that moment of just of total despair and total um, just unknown of, of, you know, everything that's happening around me in that household. I was the oldest sibling of about four of us, you know, me being in fifth grade at about 10 or 11 years old. And then the other children, that household being about four years old and then a one-year-old and like a two-year-old. Whereas the previous homes I lived in, I was probably around the middle child, the youngest of, you know, people ranging from you know four years old all the way up to high school so this is the first time that one I'm like supposed to be the most responsible one and and t- take care of others but for me at this point I'm, I'm like I'm also a child expected to take care of these other children uh the foster parent that I was living with uh she was you know working very late shifts so she wouldn't come home until nine or ten and so I'd have to put the kids to bed and have to feed them and change their diapers and all that while still going to school, while still doing my own homework, taking care of the house. And, and you know, she would get into argu- arguments with me all the time because maybe I'd, I forgot to you know, wash the dishes or maybe I forgot to take out the trash, you know, like 
normal things at home chores that you're supposed to do but i don't think she fully grasps the fact that i'm like i'm dealing with so much inside and i might forget to do things but a lot was expected of me to the point where every time i would argue i would inflict that uh, harm upon myself as a, as a way to cope with it um so i i say this in the fact that you know there may be many of us that have gone through these kind of experiences and it may lead you to that point where you know, you're inflicting self-harm on, on you or, you know, having attempts to take your own life. And I got to that point and the last attempt I took ended up, uh, you know, being a failed attempt as I'm still here today. And I got to the point where I, I asked myself the question, like, you know, why am I doing this? And I had to reflect on the fact that, you know, when I was at that point in my life, I, I realized that I didn't really have a, I guess, a definition for what my life's purpose was and that really just led me to this kind of more destructive path um so i took a moment in that time period to define what i wanted to do in life because this whole time period i felt like everything else is being dictated to me you know because you're a false youth you're not allowed to accomplish these things or you're never going to be successful or you're going to end up in prison or, or gangs or do drugs or something you know that was always pres prescripted to me but whenever i wanted to do something I never really allowed myself to do that. Um, so it took me getting to that that point. I had a brother, a birth brother who was born paralyzed from birth and he could never speak. Uh, he could he can't eat. Normally he had to be fed through a tube and, and couldn't move anything from the neck down. And I was thinking back to him, you know, when we lived together when I was at my birth parents' place and I was about to take my own life and he never could live a normal life like I could, right? I could at least, you know, having gone through traumatic experiences, I could still walk, talk, and and do things that other children can that, that are physically able to do so, and he couldn't, and I was about to throw my life away, and I, I, I had thought to that, and it, it just struck with me, and uh, at that point, I, I dedicated my life to living a life that he couldn't, right, because you know, from the moment he was born, he was bedridden and having to be living that kind of life, mm -hmm. and so that really drove me t to just you know, the dreams I had, you know, to kind of just go after it, right? Understanding what had happened in the past and just taking that and kind of molding that resilience within myself to just, you know, chase my, chase my own dreams. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably with us. I mean, that is just so painful. Many of the things that you've had to go through as a youth experiencing foster care and then having, you know, the failed adoptions and things like that. People who are supposed to be there for you, you know, not showing up for you time and again. And then you making this choice to be resilient, this choice to show up in a different way. And how old were you when that shift happened? Was that right after your last attempt, like 10, 11? Yeah. So this is about 10, 10, 11 years old. So okay. about the second half of fifth grade. Uh, this is my fourth elementary school at this point. Okay. And then what happened from there, from that point on, when you made the decision, what happened and and where did you end up with foster care? Yep. So that point on the trajectory of my life changed in a very, very drastic way. So, you know, up until this point, you know, from the moment I entered foster care, you know, I'm required to go to therapy, right? That's just kind of part of the process, right? You go through what's called play therapy. And like I said before, you know, I had a previous therapist that eventually wanted to adopt me. And when I went to these therapy sessions, I wasn't always fully open. And I'll, I'll like fully admit that here. I wasn't the most cooperative, I would say, in my therapy sessions where I would really delve deep into what I was like 
feeling on on an inner emotional level. A lot of the time, I just kind of closed myself off or just kind of gave very surface level of kind of what I was thinking and feeling. But I never really got deep into the root of like my my thoughts and feelings. But at this pivotal moment in fifth grade, you know, making that decision to to live the life that my brother couldn't and to live a life for myself, right? Because I never really fully lived for, for myself. I was still kind of trapped in my past and blaming myself for what happened. A lot of things changed internally for me and, and externally uh, things started to shift as well. So while I was in this, I would say temporary foster home, I did not know that in the background, my current therapist and one of my previous foster families were going to court and battling out to get me to be moved back into that home and, and be adopted by them. So the second foster home I lived at, that I said, you know, they, I got along well with the parents there, got along with my other siblings there. They wanted to bring me back because they understood, you know, on a surface level that I was struggling through the system and, and the, my life trajectory was kind of going in a very dark path because they saw, you know, the, the hopefulness that I had when I initially lived with them, you know, when I was in third grade, you know, because I, I enjoyed, you know, going to school and, and, you know, making friends and, and doing things that, any child wants to do right and you know to be ripped away from that uh they kind of saw that my my path has taken a different uh you know journey uh, unexpectedly and so they won that court battle and i was be able, able to be brought back to their home uh so i was in the process of being adopted um so that got finalized when i was in about seventh grade and then also i started to open up more to my therapist i just you know i would come to these sessions more and more wanting to kind of go through these battles and just really understand what I was thinking and feeling and, you know, really come to terms in the fact that despite what had happened in the past, right? One, I had to accept that it happened, right? I can't, I can't change the past, right? So I have to be, you know, an acceptance of what happened, happened. I had to come to terms to that. And uh, secondly, I had to learn how to not blame myself, right? For whatever reason in the world, there are people out there that, that did these things to me, right? Uh, and these people in my, in my case being, being my own birth parents and there's no rhyme or reason for you to, to blame yourself for that. And so I had to, it took me a long time, many years of therapy to kind of come to terms with that and eventually having to learn to forgive. And that was kind of the last step, despite how painful those experiences were. It was that, that forgiveness that ultimately, you know, set me free from uh, the affliction that I, that I faced. Mm, that is amazing. How can you tell a little bit about how you came to that point where you were able to forgive? I feel like that's such a heavy, hard thing for so many people who have been through a lot of trauma to forgive, you know, perpetrators or forgive people who have hurt them deeply. How did you come to that place where you were able to do that? <laughs> it took a long, long time for me. Uh, probably, uh, I want to say over 12, almost 14 years of therapy to, to get to that point. So I was eventually adopted, like I said, in seventh grade. So I'm, I'm about... 12 or 13 years old, and I'm still going to therapy at this point. And it wasn't until probably my junior year of high school, actually, um, where at this point, my therapist kind of reduced the amount of time to have to go to therapy because I was doing fine mentally. I was pretty stable, but I never at that point had told him the words that I forgave my parents. And it took a lot of reflection on, you know, what had happened, you know, what I wanted to do in my life. So at that point, I knew that, you know, what had happened is in the past and that, you know, the future I wanted to lay out, right. I wanted to, to turn my life in a way where I could serve others. And in order for me to have 
taken that next step, I knew that I had to kind of come to terms and, you know, forgive my, my parents for what happened, at least internally to myself. I didn't go and tell my parents face to face uh, what happened because I, I actually don't, didn't know where my parents were. My, my father was in prison for what happened, but it took my therapist having a picture of my, of my parents from the time period that I remembered them and putting it in front of me, you know, when I was in high school and I looked at the photo and I said the words that I forgive you for what happened. That's so powerful. Oh my gosh. Wow. Did that feel like a release to you? Like, did that feel like freeing to you or how did that feel for you? I felt like the, the, the huge burden just kind of lift off of me. Um, cause I was carrying this around me for, for so long. I mean, for so many years and it's not to say that I would never forget what happened, right? Like, I mean, those memories are kind of scarred, uh, into, into my essence, but in carrying this around, because like a lot of my high school friends, you know, they didn't really know what was kind of going on in my life. And so on the outside, I had this persona of being a very, uh, I guess, happy person, you know, always smiling and whatnot. Uh, but on the inside, up until the point where I was able to give, to have forgiveness, it was just this constant pressure on me. And I, I still felt that I couldn't fully move on because I haven't, you know, accepted and, and said the words that I forgive you and not just to say it, but to actually feel it in my heart. And so once I, once I said it, I mean, I, I broke down like, uh, because this burden that I've been, I was carrying and feeling like I had to battle with on my own, just, you know, felt released from me. And, and from there, I just felt that the whole world as, I guess, as far as the possibilities that I can accomplish in my life just felt so open to me. You know, at this point I wanted to, originally I wanted to go and be a therapist as well to be able to help others. And eventually I decided that I would join the military uh, as a way to kind of give back service to those that did help me along the way, where initially I felt that, you know, the whole world was against me. Um, but in recognizing that there was, you know, a, a lot of social workers that were in the background doing work for me and my therapist and, and the family that eventually adopted me and the teachers that I have met along the way that did actually believe in like who I am and what I was capable of doing. Uh, I wanted to kind of give back to those uh, communities uh, that do so much for, for kids like me. And because of the nurturing uh, from them and, and the stability in the home that I eventually got adopted. And I felt so blessed in the fact that if it, if it weren't for that environment, I don't think I'd be the person I am today. You know, my life could have ended up in a very different path. And it, it nearly did until mm -hmm. I got placed out of that situation. And so to get to that point where I recognize that I'm not alone in this journey and I can lean on the other people around me for help and dealing with my own emotions and my own thoughts mm. and getting me to that point where, you know, it's okay to forgive and, and to be able to move on and, and kind of find your own path in life. I mean, it was, it was just very relieving. Wow. Well, I am, that makes me very emotional as a mom <laughs> who's adopted out of foster care. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like you hear all the time, you know, stories from other, I hear stories from other foster moms. And it's like, there's always this kind of background worry as like, is my kid going to be okay? Are they going to be okay? They've experienced trauma. They've gone through so much experiencing foster care. And just, I think your story personally for me just gives me so much hope that, you know, with the right environment, of course, it can't take the hurt away. It can't take the past trauma away, but it can certainly fill in with love and support and encouragement and therapy and things like that. 
Um, mm -hmm. And to have you be such an example in the community of, of former foster youth who have gone on to do such amazing things. I mean, thank you for your service in the military. Like that is amazing. And just the fact that your heart was so, it wasn't, I mean, I feel like I'm a therapist. So I talk to a lot of people about when they experience really hard things, they can kind of become hard sometimes, but it feels like you did the work and you worked through so much to be able to come to a place where you wanted to turn everything hard that happened to you into a way to like give back and pour back out to other people. And that's just incredible. So thank you so much for that. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know really quickly about some amazing free resources for foster mamas on my website, fearlessfostering.com. I have a self-care quiz that will help you decide exactly what type of self-care you need at this point on your foster care journey, as well as a virtual retreat for foster mamas and an anxiety reducing email course all for free. Check it out right now on fearlessfostering.com. So you are, are you currently still in the military? Uh, yes. Yeah, so after... Uh, high school. So uh, I guess I'll kind of backtrack. So while I was in high school, um, as I said before, originally I wanted to go and study psychology and become a therapist myself. And in doing so, I, you know, tried to figure out my options, like, all right, how do I go to college? Right. Like one being from foster youth, I mean, you can look at the statistics that those of us that are in foster care, we don't come from money. Right. And especially the family that adopted me, you know, the fact that they opened their hearts and their home and, you know, just their, their minds to, to take someone like me to, to be part of their family. Uh, they were doing so knowing that, you know, money is going to be very tight for them because they didn't get any extra funding for that. And God bless, you know, the, my family for, for still doing so. So understanding that my family's financial situation, you know, was very tight and, you know, I looked at options and, how could I go to college or, or university in order to study psychology? You know, is it even feasible for me to do so? Uh, there's no way I want to take on a whole lot of debt just coming out of high school and 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 kind of dealing with having that debt just to go to school. Uh, so I was like, no matter what, if I go to college, I want to get it paid for either through uh, some a scholarship or, or something. Um, so I really applied myself uh, in high school, you know, studying very hard and taking a lot of classes to kind of set myself up for that. And so you know, I looked at various scholarship opportunities and I got stumbled upon a ROTC scholarship kind of recommended to me by my uh, career college counselor uh, in high school. And I was also in a JROTC program in high school as a way to kind of plan discipline myself as well. So I had some exposure to the military and I knew at the end of the day, no matter what route I, I went, whether, you know, enlisting into the military originally, I was going to go in the Marines, or if I was able to get a scholarship and go to college and then the military, I just knew at some point I wanted to serve in the military. And, you know, being exposed to the RTC scholarship, I was able to, to have that opportunity to apply for it. So I applied for the Navy RTC scholarship. And in doing so, I was told that it's more beneficial for them uh, to have people that are applying for fields in the STEM area. Okay. So science, technology, engineering, math, and psychology doesn't necessarily fall into that, right? It falls into liberal arts. So I had to switch my thought and I was like, well, if they want me to have a STEM degree, I'll just study something in engineering. And for my high school friends that may be watching this, they're probably going to laugh because I wasn't, I wasn't the brightest in, in math and in science. Um, I had to work really hard at it and, and spend extra hours after class just to kind of catch up and, and keep up with my other classmates. So I ended up just picking, I asked my my physics, uh, my AP physics teacher in high school, I was like, hey, if you were to study engineering, like which one would be 
I guess the more, most straightforward. He was like, oh, mechanical engineering. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll pick mechanical engineering. So I applied to you know, over 12 or 14 schools and ended up choosing Purdue University to do mechanical engineering and uh, Navy ROTC. Uh, so after graduating high school, I attended Purdue University and eventually commissioned uh, into the Navy. Oh, well, that's amazing. I mean, just like incredible, the resolve that you had, the, the way that you kind of knew that you wanted to do things and just figuring out how to how to make it happen. And the fact that you're doing so well now is just like incredible. So I'm just really inspired by your story. And I'm so appreciative of you for, for sharing with us. I'm very glad and, and humbled and honored to be able to kind of share my story in a broader setting. I mean, I have never shared it uh, outside of other friends from from college or high school and just close family. Um, so I've never shared in a public setting like this, but I, I thought it would be a way to kind of touch the hearts of others that have gone through uh, you know this kind of situations and and be able to show that you know we can take what had happened to us and and kind of mold it to what we want to become in society. And I felt that you know it's it can be pretty daunting to have this dream of yours and and to try to go after it and and kind of not know what the next steps are. But I feel like if you keep you know, your big reason why or your own purpose in life and kind of keep going towards it and chipping at it. Now, eventually you can, you can make progress through it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So one last question before we wrap up and I want to make sure people can find you online and everything, but as Mm -hmm. a foster mom, I would love for you to be able to just share kind of what is one thing that you wish more foster parents knew or what would be helpful for them to know based on your own experience? Oh, that is a, it's a fantastic question, actually. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. <laughs> it's c- certainly while I was in foster care too. But I would say the the one thing I would kind of not necessarily wish, but just kind of to keep in mind is, and I'm sure people hear this all the time, but you just, we have to keep an open uh, mind and an open heart and always have a listening ear uh, because you never know when that child wants to open up to you. Right. And each person has their own way of of opening up, opening that door uh, to their mind and to their heart. And it may, may not always be through words. It might it might be through uh, some actions or, or something to kind of let their way into opening up uh, to the affliction that was caused. So being able to kind of recognize those signs and just being open to it without any judgment as to, you know, what has happened to them or what they're about to share to you, I think just reinforces that that bond that you can have with them. Yeah, that's huge. I think that's such a good reminder for so many of us, you know, foster and adoptive moms, just thinking about, you know, this child in our care has been through so much. And just because we hope they'll open up in this certain way, doesn't mean that they will. That doesn't mean there's something wrong or that they don't love you. They just have to walk their own path towards opening up to you. So that's a huge reminder. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And well, another thing to touch on that, sorry, just oh, yeah. kind of came, came to mind. Uh, something that I experienced in one of the homes that I lived at is allow the child, right? Because, you know, especially if you're adopting someone that has been in the system for a few years, just allow them to be the person that they are, right? Because in one of the homes I lived in, like I said, they may have had good intentions, right? Um, but at this point, I'm already in third grade. And, you know, I had my own dreams and goals and desires and sports that I was in and and activities I was involved in. But, you know, because they were trying to mold me to be a certain way among their 
socioeconomic group. So when you do that to a child with everything, and, and this goes to any child really, not just some of that's in foster care, but you're just telling them at, when you do something like that, like, hey, your dreams and, and things that you desire, like don't matter. This is like what I want for you kind of thing. And once you do that to a child, you know, they're really just going to close themselves off and, and they're going to feel way like too conflicted with you and with themselves and, you know, causes an identity crisis in the midst of everything else that's kind of going on. So you have to allow the, the child to kind of just have their own you know, needs and wants and, and dreams and just allow that to kind of flourish on its own. That's so incredible. It's such a great reminder. I feel like, like you said, exactly for any child, for any parent, I work with a lot of parents and families and that's like the number one thing I try to instill in parents when they come to me they're like my kid is is struggling with this problem like fix it I'm like okay well back it up <laughs> like we all are contributing to whatever is happening here so we all need to take an honest look at how we're contributing to it and remind us that we're all individuals we're all coming to this problem with different personalities and we're not trying to change anyone we're mm-hmm. just trying to figure out how to make this as best for everyone as possible so that's such a good reminder thank you yeah. <laughs> oh gosh I want to you know be able to put people in your line of sight and, and I want them to be able to find you and follow your journey online. Where can they find you? What's the best way to do that? Yep. Uh, so the best way to, to reach me is on Instagram. Uh, my, uh, what do you call it? handle is darebear808. All lowercase um, 808 stands for the area code of Hawaii. And darebear was a nickname was given to me in um, high school from actually my AP uh, calculus teacher. And so the, this is kind of the first time I'm ever really sharing this. So when you go to my Instagram, you may not see me having my story posted there, right? I haven't really shared it in a public forum, uh, but I'm trying to do this because I'm trying to create a community uh, that I'm standing up on Facebook where we can kind of share our stories among each other and kind of be directed to resources where, you know, if we, we may need, need help for what we're going through, you know, those resources can be there. But on my Instagram is kind of where I'm going to be sharing some of my own personal stories and in hopes to reach others uh, in this community. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Darius, for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. And we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.